This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Let's get back into it with our panel. Michael Giles, John Capobianco, David Sparrow. Topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville, pound 3636. Hey, by the way, uh, we're supposed to get down to minus 10 tonight. And now there's, uh, you know, the cold weather warnings have come out. Obviously, uh, early to mid-January, you're going to, and probably beyond, see more of this. Police have issued a, a notice to those with makeshift encampments beneath the Gardner Expressway that uh, and at the Eaton Center and other areas around town that uh, they got 14 days to vacate. Otherwise, they're going to come in and take these things down. The question, though, is, I mean, where are these folks going to go? Uh, some of the street workers and activists are saying there's no room in the shelters. The shelters are strapped. Uh, over a thousand people one night, according to Kathy Crow, the street activist. So let me just throw this one quickly around the horn. Uh, I submit to you, Michael Giles, that some of this problem has been as exacerbated by the illegal or irregular border crossers who have come here and assumed shelter space, and we don't have enough. I mean, how do you square the circle? Well, and you can't, and and it's, I think, frankly, it goes back to the whole notion the federal government has a responsibility here. It's not living up to it. You know, the mayor and the, the city has done basically uh, everything they possibly can. They're trying to expand the, the, the shelter space. You know, the, I mean, cold weather alerts, the metro hall, this kind of thing. But I believe it's, and I, I think my statistics are right here, is it's 40% now, and uh, two years ago, three years ago, it was 25% of that space. So Obviously, there's an issue there, and you can't keep doing it. Again, it comes back to the fact that there's a federal government has a, a policy in place, and they should be covering the costs of uh, of the decisions or the lack of decisions they're making with respect to these asylum seekers. In other words, uh, opening up more spaces, but on their dime. On their dime, absolutely. Well, until on, until they address the problem, you know, at its root. If they're not if they're not prepared to do what they need to do, either expediting these cases or whatever it might be, then they have to cover the costs of if people are coming to cities like Toronto or Montreal. Yeah. Well, it's all of our dime because no, it's, it's basically right. one tax. Taxpayer John Capobianco. Yeah. I mean, what do we do locally? I mean, if we don't have shelter space, well, that, and that's a good question. And I don't, and I agree with Michael. I think for sure the, uh, the what we saw over the last little while with this uh, surge of, of immigrants coming in or. or um, uh, uh, refugees coming in, uh, I think, is causing a huge problem. We saw it in the summer where at least you had uh, campuses across Canada, and certainly some of the provinces uh, over the summer when there wasn't kids in school, where they were staying in dorms and, and being able to do it. But we saw it in it's August. mostly Toronto. That was two colleges in Toronto. In Toronto, but there were some across. But certainly there was a problem where where the mayor did sort of you know warn uh, and say, look, we're gonna we're gonna face a school coming back, and these uh, these families are gonna have to be displaced and go into places and hotels. Uh, so it's gonna be a constant problem. There's not gonna be any new buildings being built. For this, so I think the problem is uh, is going to be there, and and I don't know how they're going to be able to solve it unless they they create some funding for or incentives for for companies to build some level of housing that might be affordable for uh, for this to happen. David, mm-hmm. well, <clears throat> I mean, I agree with my colleagues that all levels of government need to step up and find a solution. The homeless are always going to be uh, with us. In terms of this particular question, you're asking about whether people who have found some uh, small degree of safety and warmth by creating a little encampment for themselves when those options aren't available, I think it's pretty reckless to say we're going to be here in 10 days and just rip down your shelter if you don't have another option right there for them and say, just go over here and there's a warm place to sleep. So how we're going to do this, we we have to have an effective strategy, all levels of government working together. help the Canadian taxpayer, that one taxpayer you're talking about, to recognize that this benefits uh, society by helping uh, uh, those who are less fortunate and have steeper hills to climb. And we know that there's going to be migration of people into Canada, and so we need to have a strategy of how to help those people integrate into our society as well. Big challenges ahead. Well, yeah, certainly in the immediate, because uh, another cold night, and uh, if they're on the clock, like it's a 14-day window that 
the city staff has given these people, uh, yeah, to take them out of their domicile, uh, such as it is. And yet that isn't the unkindest thing because if it's bitterly cold, uh, sometimes people perish in those things. Mm -hmm. Crazy story. Let me talk about, too, very quickly, earlier today, you talk about the police needing to be proactive. Uh, There was a rolling blockade along Highway 401 westbound from uh, the Aquasasne Reserve outside of Cornwall all the way to uh, just outside of Belleville. Tyendinaga, and uh, this has to do with the support or solidarity shown to the native bands out there in BC with the pipeline protest. Now, they were going about 30 kilometers an hour, about 10 cars, but blocking all kinds of vehicular traffic, people trying to get down to Toronto primarily, I guess, or trucks making deliveries and so on and so forth. The police kind of sit by and tolerate this. Is that a right approach, hoping that it'll, you know, just peter out after about 150 kilometers, no harm, no foul? Or should they get right in there and get these people off the road, Michael? Well, I think that uh, it's a difficult situation, no question about that. Um, Why is it difficult? It seems pretty cut and dried, isn't it? Well, I think it's difficult in the the sense that the police, you know, if they're going to go in and start hauling cars off the road or that kind of thing... Well, ease them off the road. Well, but you'll get into, you know, the potential is there for confrontation. Having said that, I think this is like... You know, from the perspective of those doing it, it is the worst approach because you don't you don't make friends. You don't. I remember years ago, the, you probably remember this. The, the truckers were blocking highways and stuff like that. The police tolerated it for a little bit. I think it went on for two days. Then they started threatening careless driving charges, and it evaporated because who wants that kind of charge? I think that's something that you have to look at, frankly, that you can't continue, you know, you can't have all this happening. You can't have people blocking roads. And frankly, I think it totally is counterproductive. You lose support when you do stuff like this from the, you know, from sort of the broader public, you know, rather than gain Well, not it. always. I, in the case of the truckers, sometimes I think there was enough support to understand what their uh, concerns were. Well, I think they did what they needed to do to get attention. This is like a major highway. You're blocking people. You know, I, 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 at some point, I think, you know, you some tolerance, but, it, you know, if, this, if it continues for too long, then you have to. Yeah, but don't you encourage it by not discouraging it, John? Well, you do, but I think the conflict is a big issue here, and I think the police are are well aware of of past conflicts in this situation, especially when you're dealing with uh, Indigenous groups, and and um, and especially the fact that they've obviously have come to a point where they. Uh, pretty much don't care if, if they're upsetting or, or displacing or making people uncomfortable, that this is their mission. They're, they want to be in solidarity with their uh, with their uh, uh, friends and groups uh, in, in the B.C. And, and, and the police, I think, are well aware that, that doing anything overt in this case would cause some level of conflict that might escalate it into an even worse situation than a trickle or a slowdown of the 401. Um, but, you know, th- this, this group is... So we don't want before. another Caledonia <laughs> or, an Oka. or an Oka. Oh, it's exactly right. So don't. And so no. that, that was the discretion, the better part of valor. You just kind of let this thing go. and uh... Absolutely. I think the role of the police is to maintain public safety, and that's what they were doing. They were watching the situation and, and, uh, and hoping that it would come to an end, and it did come to an end, and they, and they could move on. But the, um, whether it's a, a good uh, method to reach out to the public, they did get some attention. We're talking about it right here. We're tying it in with what's going on out west, and I think that that's... Uh, Part of freedom of speech, if you will. Well, what's right. making it easier, too, John, I think nowadays versus the days of Oka and the days of, of some of the other uh, challenges and, and conflicts in the past is that social media. So now people are, are, are much more aware quickly that there's a slowdown or there's a, there's some, some happening on the 401. So people can make adjustments so they can take other routes as opposed to before mm-hmm. where you couldn't, you know, you had to really de- deal with it by way of... Uh, All right, so the next time you get a group, uh, remember when the Sri Lankans decided they were going out onto the Gardner Expressway. 
I mean, mm-hmm. Blair kind of stood down for a while. You can't be doing that, can well, you? Well, ha- you have to be gentle and you have to have good <laughs> communications and build those relationships. But I'll tell you this, is the 401 is going to be slowed down many times over the next couple of months due to snow, and the police are going to do very little about it. Mm. Okay. Uh, I think a lot of people might build that into the equation because, uh, well, it's just the way it goes in a Canadian winter. Got to ask you again, uh, this is a real interesting case study. Uh, you're all political animals. Maxime Bernier, he's got his People Party of Canada, and uh, one of his first candidates out of the blocks is going to contest February 25th in that by-election in Burnaby South, where Jugmeet Singh has also thrown his hat into the ring. Uh, I don't know what her prospects are, but Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson is considered a social conservative to the max. I mean, she's against sex ed curriculums in schools and... Uh, other things like uh, transgender rights and using pronouns for uh, the trans folk. So uh, the question is, because she's big on Bernier, suggesting that he's a guy who lets you speak your mind and conscience and vote your conscience. And uh, yet I'm curious, like, is this going to be a millstone around his neck? Social conservatism. Uh, do you win with that card these days? It looks like Andrew Shear is trying to tamp it down. Doug Ford here in Ontario, same thing. What's that going to do for Bernier's prospects? Is it a a, a positive or a negative, Michael? Well, it may move him from 1% to 1.1%. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's going to do very much. I mean, and, and he himself has said social conservatism will not be part of his agenda. It won't be in the platform. So you just have this voice taken. I mean, this by-election is actually starting to turn very bizarre. It's one of those things where you might want to grab a Muskoka chair and a bucket, bucket of popcorn and just start watching it. And, I mean, even her name, like, you, you're going to have to get a pretty big sign to get her name on that thing. But the point being is, um, yeah, I, I think this doesn't serve anybody's purpose, certainly not Maxine Bernier. If anything Maxine Bernier wants to be doing, it's to be, uh, you know, presenting himself as a credible possible, you know, candidate and all this kind of stuff. This doesn't. It just sort of turns it into a bit of a circus. I mean, he was quoted what last week saying, you know, future world government will destroy Canada. Like, you start going sort of a little too far out into the, well, in the right field in this case. That's where he had me. Um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right. Well, no, but he's just talking about, you know, globalists. And uh, Justin Trudeau, your boy, has even said, you know, uh, Canada's a post-national country. It's got no core identity. Well, I, I think there is a definitely a, a globalism going on in the world. There's a reaction to that. But when you have a leader of a party talking about future world government and all this kind of stuff, just conjures up images of a guy in the basement with a bare light bulb sitting in front of a computer at 3 in the morning, and it doesn't help. That's how I spend my weekends. We'll come back. Uh, I got a couple of fun things for you here. I want to run these by you <laughs> as our last, uh, <laughs> last order of business uh, with our panel and topics worthy of discussion. Back with more in a moment on The Oakley Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.